Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited about today's guest because it's someone I've wanted to have on for a long time. Um, a friend of mine who I got to know from social media, which is, seems to be the case for a lot of people on this show. Um, but uh, welcome to the show, activist, author, um, writer, Sierra White. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah, so am I. Oh, yes, been following your work for ages. Um, um, and you do so much great activism. I was just telling you, like you could you could see from your Twitter feed, just from your Twitter feed, if you didn't know, if you didn't know anything else about you, you could tell from your Twitter feed that you're an activist and um, yeah. you're doing a lot of really great work. Thank you. Um, yeah, so yeah, I tell people that they can tell I'm an Enneagram 8 if they follow my Twitter account for more than like a second. Oh, yeah, I figured that out like pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. in a really good way as well. A really good Enneagram 8, like, um, I think. Yeah, um, but uh, so tell us a bit about your story and the work that you do. Um, well. So for me, I tend to have a a kind of, I feel like everybody kind of has a focus for the work they do. Um, And for me, I tend to focus on sexism, um, specifically um, for me, being a woman of color, I I really try to also focus on um, the intersection of sexism and how that affects women of color specifically, uh, as well as just women as a whole. And I'm also like super passionate about uh, racism. So for me, it, it's it's uh, I live in kind of a weird world because I'm I'm mixed, and so I'm um, I'm uh, half Puerto Rican, and then the other half is mixed with Native and white. Um, and then I was ad- I was in the foster care system, so I was raised and I ended up getting adopted um, into a white family. Hmm. And so you know, for me, like I you know I remember being nine years old the first time I realized that I was brown and I didn't look like everyone around me. Um, so my story is kind of crazy and a little bit all over the place, but I feel like I have a very unique voice to bring to the table because there aren't a whole lot of, um, um, mixed biracial women that are getting a platform to speak about the experiences that, um, that us personally. So for me, I'm becoming more passionate about, about, um, the experiences of mixed women of color um, yeah. and just how different our experience is. Um, so, and I also run, um, a ministry called Azer Rising. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Where we focus on advocating for women. Um, and we have a staff of fan- just fantastic women, um, and women of color who write about sexism. And we're really focusing on right now on educating on the intersection of sexism um, or feminism and racism. Um, so that's kind of what I'm passionate about and kind of what I spend most of my time doing on the internet. Yeah. And it is really great work. I've, I've, I've done, I've seen a lot of Ezra Rising and yeah, some amazing people on that team doing really incredible work. Uh, and, yeah. it's, and it's so important, you know, that work because yeah, we just especially into especially today, especially in like in I suppose American culture, especially today. You know, like it's Western culture. It's yeah. uh, it's so important that those voices are getting heard. Yeah, and that's 
you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I started Asia Rising. Um, it's been almost been three years. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons I started it is I wanted to create a platform for women to have a voice to speak from. Yeah. Um, because I, I felt like a lot of um, egalitarian circles were very, um, this is our platform. Um, and I felt like there was just a lot of, um, just, I don't know. I just felt like it was just very like, this is my platform. And it felt like it took a lot of work just to get your, your work featured on other people's platforms. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to create a space where women can tell their stories. Like we get guest posts all the time, you know, from people. We recently had a woman who, um, was abused by a public minister um, and just shared her story on our platform to give her a voice. Um, and, I, you know, I'm kind of, even in a sense, for me, I'm, I'm finding myself moving away from a lot of labels, um, even mm. in the last year. Um, you know, three years ago, you know, I was egalitarian for sure, and then I was a feminist, and now I'm just kind of like, I just want to do the work I do and... Um, because all these labels make everything so much messier. Um, I do, yeah. I mean, labels are kind of, in one sense they can be, there's an element of them being useful in terms of what they describe, but there's also an element of them being really divisive because you can say, because people start to say, if you're that, then you can't be that, and then you can't be that, but like, and and that means you're opposed to them, or that means, like, and like, they put all these rules on the labels that you didn't you didn't you didn't sign up for when you took that label like you know because i i believe i've always believed in gender equality um whatever you want to whatever whatever you want to call it i was just brought up that way that's just just, i assumed that's how the way it works i never gave it a label like and then people start saying oh egalitarianism that's what that means that's the theological way of saying it so i had to say oh yeah i'm egalitarian because i believe in equality you know but um can't I just say I believe in full inclusion and equality for everybody yeah. <laughs> all genders races sexual preferences you know like yeah that's yeah. it <laughs> um full inclusion sounds like a better label I guess um yeah and I think a lot of people I see a lot of people who write things like fully intersectional feminists on their twitter profiles or you know, and it kind of bothers me because it feels, and it's mostly white women, honestly, that I see this from. I don't think I've ever in my life seen a woman of color with the words intersectional feminist on their Twitter bio. And it just kind of gets on my nerves. Like, I just want to be like, just live your feminism out. Like, we don't need to know. Like, it's like your little banner to like, let the world know how inclusive you are. Like, just live your life, man. Like, I just, it's just like a personal thing for me, but it bothers the crap out of me. I, I totally, I completely understand that because I, yeah, it's getting to the point now where your actions have to speak louder than your words kind of thing, you know, because um, it used to be cool to put yourself as an LGBTQ ally on your Twitter bio. Now it's not. Like, now you have to actually show it. And also, you don't get to decide if you're an ally Anyway, it's the LGBTQ community. It's the LGBTQ community who decide whether you're an ally or not by yeah. your actions. Like you don't get to call yourself that. Like any kind of ally, you don't get to call yourself any kind of ally. You get to be, you get to be 
named one by people who were in that group. Um, so, yeah, it's amazing how things change. All means different things to different people. So, when you say you're a fully intersectional feminist, to one person you may be, but to someone else you may not be. And it just—I don't know—it just feels like wanting to me. It's just like when white women. Um, play like the white savior complex kind of thing. It's like wanting cookies and wanting gold stars for being a good ally. Like you don't get good stars for being a not, you know, for not being a garbage human. Like you just yeah. get to know you're doing good for other people. You know, no gold stars are given for not sucking at life. Yeah. And I guess this is how we're often brought up, isn't it? Like the, in the church is, you believe the right things and you do the right things and you get a reward. Like, mm-hmm. it literally yeah. is. Like, basic, like, evangelical Christianity is prosperity gospel. Somebody told me this when, when they told me. It was like, oh, my God, that's right. You know, because if you believe something, because of something you're going to get at the end of it, then you're believing in the prosperity gospel. So if you believe that, oh, I believe in Jesus because this way I get to heaven, then you're believing in prosperity gospel because you're believing that you're going to get a reward for doing something, like for believing something. But right. people just don't don't get that. And it's once you see it, it's really obvious. But when, you, when you're in it, you don't see it kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. It is. It's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's been a road for me, honestly, to get to where I am because two, you know, two years ago, I would never have seen my life and the belief systems I have now. Um, two years ago, I would never have thought that I would be where I am, um, that I would be having the conversations that I'm having, that I'd be making the statements that I'm making. And, you know, I've lost even more friends in the last year, you know, for, you know, the bold statements I make and um, the... I don't know. I found that the more inclusive I get, the more excluded I get from places I used to feel comfortable. Yeah. That oh, that, I resonate with that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it's... <laughs> we're going to get onto the topic that we were going to talk about <laughs> very quickly. Um, but it, it's, all, it's all in a very passive-aggressive way as well. Like, it's... It's, it's not over and in your face and it's really subtle and quiet and almost manipulative and like you know and that and you know it's like I think what we're both talking about is we're frustrated with dualistic ways of believing mm-hmm. um, like what this is how Richard Raw describes it dualistic thinking as in in out basically you know mm-hmm. um i'm right you're wrong there's like i get and i get and if i win i get to impose all my views on you and you have to subscribe to them otherwise you're evil <laughs> you yeah. know and it sounds like and of course this is what what conservative christians have been doing for ages um in a much more overt kind of way <laughs> but now we have like the problem is that we had progressive christianity which is which there's a lot of good things about, and I know a lot of really great progressive Christians who aren't dualistic at all, um, and are really inclu- truly inclusive. But there's a group of progressive Christians who are not like that, and who are becoming more. <sighs> I don't like using this. I don't like using this word, but tribal. You know, like um, it's the only word I can think of, and I know it's not the best word to use, but it's it's like 
exclusive. Like we're you know we're we're the, we're the right we're the ones who are right. So come and join us. Like yeah. Um, and it was like and I, and I the the first time I saw this was when Donald Trump got elected. The first time I realised this. Like I had a meeting with my spiritual director not long after he got elected, and I was talking about this, and I was like, "Oh my God! I've just realised I've I've literally changed how I believe," because I was talking about it without even thinking about it. Like for for the first time, I've been trying to get into a non-dual kind of way of thinking for ages, and finally I'd internalised it, and I was like, "Oh gosh, what happened is all these progressive people." They they won when Barack Obama got elected, and then so what they did is they silenced everyone who disagreed with them, and and they thought they they thought they just won by silencing them. And actually, what they did is they they just they just made them feel abandoned and forgotten, and so to, and easy meat for somebody like Donald Trump to come along and say, "I'll listen to you," you know, and they say, "Well, I don't like him, but at least he listens to me." And right. then you get Donald Trump elected. So it was like, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is what happened. Like, how could you not see this happening? It was so obvious. Like, you know, um, and that's the thing. That's when I. That's when I really shifted um, to seeing this, like this problem, and it's become more obvious as time has gone on. Uh, you've got a lot to say about this as well. I think I really started noticing it in the last like three years. Um, this. I mean, as I was telling you earlier before we started recording was, you know, this progressive fundamentalism. Yeah, um, that's right. And there's even some people that I see that um, are like leaders in this movement that I have serious issues with. Um, and I'm not one, I, in general, I'm not one to put people on blast or call people out by name. Um, so, you know, but there are a handful um, of leaders in this Christian progressive movement that I have concerns for because it's very alienating of people who are not where you are. Um, and like a great example is, you know, you know, three years ago, I was not LGBTQ affirming. I was not, I was loving and tried to be inclusive and I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, I, you know, I had LGBTQ friends who I was um, very good friends with. Um, but I just, because of my understanding of the Bible, I just was not able to become affirming and whatever. So I wasn't. And then about two years ago, I was put on blast by a group of people who um, took a bunch of um, private conversations out of context um, and put me on blast. And the ministry I run on blast, um, mostly because we were not um, LGBTQ affirming and um you know, it was just like a whole thing for me. And it, it did a lot of damage to me. It made me not want to become LGBTQ affirming because of the work. I was like, if this is what allies do to each other, um, you know, hurting, like just putting people on blast for not being where you are, like I don't want any part of that. And um, I mean, it was, it was really rough for a while. And then I, you know, I decided to put in the work and I spent a year just reading you know, Sarah Bessie did a great article that was helpful for me. Torn by Justin Lee was very helpful. Yeah, it's great. But... Um, I mean, just countless other resources. I started listening to LGBTQ voices on Twitter specifically. Um, and, and, you know, and within a year, I had flipped my, my life there. And, you know, I can now say that openly that I'm LGBTQ affirming and inclusive. Um, but it was no thanks to a group of people who felt the need to publicly call me out for not being where they thought I needed to be. I just needed more time. 
And this is something I've seen is that, you know, we don't get to force other people to deconstruct in our timeline and demonize them for not being where we are. Absolutely. And it's not a popular thing to say because we're like, well, we just feel like we should police everybody. And if, if you're not inclusive, then you're part of the problem. And if you're not this, then you're, and I don't believe that. I don't, um, because I know me and I know that three years ago I was not harming LGBTQ people intentionally, but I needed, I just, I was in full blown deconstruction and I could only deconstruct so many things at times, Yeah, you know, and to have people forcing me to deconstruct something that was, that was important for them, um, was very hard for me because I was like, I can only read so many books and I can only study so many subjects at a time without getting lost in everything. And so for me, when I meet people who aren't where I am, I just open up dialogue and then let it, let it rest. And I send them resources. Um, because I think this is a huge problem that I see inside progressive, uh, circles is this dogmatic, um, policing of people's beliefs. That if you don't believe in the, in A, B, and C, then you're not actually progressive, or you're not a good feminist, or you're not actually an ally. And it's just it's a lot of um, yeah. Seriously, is just the, the thing that we all left um, fundamental Christianity. You know, was this this dogmatic like toe the line, or you can't sit with us mentality. You know, and you know we all left. We all left, um, you know, conservative Christianity because of that, and now we're out in in progressive funny land with the exact same issues. Where we've got mm-hmm. these, you know, these people who have set themselves up as our leaders, telling us what we have to believe, and if we don't agree with them or we push back on them, then we're then we're publicly scrutinized or put on blast, or we have a blog written about us, or. You know, we're made out to be public enemy number one because we're not where where they think we should be in our in our spiritual walk. But we don't get to know what's going on in other people's lives. Like people mm-hmm. didn't know that I was deconstructing like eight other things at the time that this all happened. And so deconstructing the the LGBTQ theology issue just was not even on my radar. Yeah. Um, but then I made it a priority. And I was able to get through it and realize that I was wrong. But again, it was in no thanks to a group of bullies who took to the internet to lie and put me in just a, a paint me in a really bad light um, publicly and drive a lot of people into some drama that was just unnecessary. But on the flip side, here I am, you know, two years later. And I have moved into being a place where I'm an ally to LGBTQ individuals. I mean, I'm not the best. I'm still learning. I literally just learned what demisexual meant like a, like six months ago. Yeah, and, I know. And I'm, yeah. Oh, that's me. I am that way. <laughs> okay. You know, so it's just, it's been a learning curve for me. And, you know, I had a friend recently, you know, private message me. I said something on Twitter and, she messaged me and she was like, just an FYI, that's not the proper term. This is the word you would use. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for not like publicly shaming me and embarrassing me. Thank you for just letting me know. And I just deleted the tweet and reworded it and it was no big deal. Yeah, that's how you should help somebody who is wanting to learn and grow. It's like if somebody is genuinely wanting to learn and is open to hearing other people's 
perspectives, opinions, knowledge, people who know more, maybe. Yeah. Like and like have humility about it and say like, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to make a mistake. I'm just trying to learn. Like yeah. and like 'cause I'm I've I'm always trying to I've always been treading that that kind of you know, that kind of fine line of like in 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 certain a lot of areas, like being a white man and kind of I have to literally do this about in, in every area, pretty much, because yeah, because I'm kind of I'm well aware of my own privilege and my own inbuilt biases and stuff, and so I'm always having to I'm always having to be open to learn and be corrected and all of those things. It's really important, um, yeah, uh, to do that and and but to do but so but to do but for people to give you that in love rather than call you out and say what a bad person you are. You're an evil person because you made a genuine mistake about something in terms of terminology when, when you could just like your friend did send you a direct message saying that wasn't quite the right, the correct term, use that term. And then you just say, thank you and change it, you know, which yeah. is the, which is the most loving way to, to do that because we're all on the journey and none of us are perfect. Like we just, yeah. I think like, the fundamentalist progressives seem to want us to expect us all to be like Jesus, like perfect and never make a mistake. You know, <laughs> you know, say everything correctly and do everything correctly. Um, yeah. I've, I've had this joke with people that Jesus could run for president, and fundamental fundamentalist progressives would find something wrong with him because yeah. they're always finding something wrong with every candidate. Like, yeah. um, like they. I don't know what they find wrong with him, but they find something wrong with him. They find a way. Um, and, you know, and it's like, rather than saying, okay, maybe none of them are 100% perfect. Yeah. Right? All of them have got their flaws because, well, they're human beings for a start off. Um, how about we just go with, like, the one who's pretty decent, who we agree with most of what they say, and can actually win, because that's the most important thing. Like in the election in November, is that is that Donald Trump does not win, and yeah. and the way that he wins is by progressive fundamentalist progressives arguing over who the candidate should be, like <laughs> you know, um, and I said this four years ago actually, like like because I I because I I studied politics at university, so I'm a bit aware about politics and stuff as well. Like so, I was saying this like four years ago. Don't make this mistake again, please. Like. <laughs> in four years time and uh it's a whole mess over here right now i have honestly just like checked out until we get down to the presidential presidential candidates that we have to actually start taking seriously yeah because it's so chaotic right now i can't even keep up with with everything yeah yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to be too. I don't want us to kind of be a rant at fundamentalist progressives, but at all. I mean, I used to be one probably. Like I used to be in that. And I didn't realise at the time. I didn't see it at all. Um, and I think there's probably good people in that space who don't realise that they're there. Yeah. Because why would you? You know, when it's safe and it's kind of everything everyone belongs and everyone's nice and everyone's saying nice progressive language why would you think it's a bad space excuse me (coughs) everyone it's winter in the uk and i'm still as we record anyway and uh, i have a bit of a cough so (laughs) excuse that um but um but yes um you know because again it's like this is the thing there's 
Well, it's about listening to people's stories and saying, yeah. like, it's not about saying what, who do you vote for or are you progressive or conservative? It's, it's more like, are you willing to listen to my story? Are you, are you willing to hold space on my story, even if it disagrees with your story kind of thing? You know, um, I think I said to somebody that like a conservative who is willing to be corrected and willing to learn and willing to be wrong and willing to listen to somebody else's story. Um, I'd probably get on better with them than a, than a than a fundamentalist progressive who doesn't want to listen to other people's stories. Right. Like, and they're more likely to grow than the than the progressive person. In fact, they're probably actually more progressive in some ways than the progressive person because they're more because they're open to growing and learning and changing. You know, and that's like it's just all one process. Anyway, I've talked too much. <laughs> no, fine. I I think there's some valid points, and I also think that. You know, some of my issues with progressive Christians specifically is I see a lot of them building platforms um, on how shocking they can be. Um, And I just see so much like political jargon and just like these cliche phrases being used all the time over and over and over again to give this idea of inclusivity um, and safety. But the thing is, if, if you don't toe those lines, you're not safe there. You know, you're not safe to disagree or even open dialogue. You know, there's, you know, it's like six months ago, there's some, there's a woman who um, is out of the U S and she wrote this scathing Twitter thread um, about, I can't remember, but it was basically about how awful, um, all, all conservative Christians are. And I, and I read it and I was like, this is not accurate. Like, and it's kind of unfair because I come from a conservative family and my parents are not racist assholes. Like, you know, um, and so I, but I was too afraid to comment and be like, okay, like I hear what you're saying, but you're also broad painting a lot of people's stories and, um, a lot of people's lives. Um, because you've had some bad experiences with conservative Christians. Um, and and I get some of that, but we can't build bridges if we are unwilling to meet each other in the middle. We can't. Um, and we can't rebuild something if we're not all willing to work together. And we can't all work together if we're so busy shoving people outside who don't tow our line. Um, and so it's, you know, for me, it's really important that I follow a wide variety of voices on social media. Um, it takes a lot for me to unfollow or unfriend somebody. Um, it, uh, it just does. You have to like be actually like being a racist or, you know, being just an absolute jerk to somebody for me to be like, and I'm done. Um, because I feel like, I feel like there's just, a, there's so much division that we're doing with these. I, I kind of see it as like a, a cafeteria and I just kind of see us all sitting at these tables and, you know, the progressive Christians are, you know, deciding who gets to sit at the popular kids table. You know, are you inclusive enough? Are you this? Are you this? Oh, well, you're not, you know, you believe this, so you're, you can't sit with us. And these are people who consider themselves progressive Christians, but because they don't tow the, the lines of the, the big name platform people um, in progressive Christianity, you know, you can't sit with them. And I'm kind of over it. Like I'm super tired of these like clicks 
on social media. Yeah. I'm so scared of watching famous people just, you know, these like semi-famous, you know, progressive Christians just promote each other. And it's just like this big giant like mm. circle. And, you know, so for me, you know, there's women who are doing some of the most fantastic work I am seeing right now is coming from people who have less than 2000 followers on Twitter. You know, honestly, yes. shout out to Irene Cho, Kathy Kane, Griselle Medina, Marlena Graves, Karen Gonzalez. Like, y'all are killing me. Y'all are freaking killing me. Marlena's Every- been on the show. Marlena is <laughs> awesome. And uh, I think a couple of others I've got lined up to come on. At that least. Armin? Yeah, because I kiss. Cool. That's one of the things I do on this show, to be honest, with this podcast. It's not about just having like big names on here it's like who's got an in- for me when i'm when i when i decide i want who i want to have as guests on here i think about who's got an interesting story who's got something to say like um not yeah and it's nice to get great people on like and i've had some really great people on who i really respect and love and i love having all those people on and i'll probably have more of them on but it's it's not just about that it's like okay who can i have a conversation with who can we have in who can we who's got an interesting story and something that's really important that needs to be said. And, um, you know. um, And I think we're responsible to use our platforms to elevate other people's voices. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't have a huge platform. I mean, Aza Rising has about 11,000 followers and we can get anywhere from 50 likes to 500 likes in a post. You know, my social, my Twitter account just topped 3,000 this week. You know, like I don't have a huge following, but I have learned like something that I've decided for me is that if I'm going to move up, I'm going to bring as many women up with me as possible. You know, so yeah. anytime I, my Twitter, I get mass followed, which has been happening the last like two weeks. I went from like 2000 followers like a month ago to like over 3000 this week. And so my goal is like, okay, so if my Twitter account is going to grow, then I'm gonna be, I have a list of women that I will be bringing up as my account grows so that there's a grow at the same time. Because I think that's how this is supposed to work. I just, for me, it's important that, you know, if women, like we're all talking about being feminists and women empowering women, but like act that crap out, like empower other women, bring other people up with you as your platform grows. Use your platform to elevate the voices of other people. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because all of us aren't, you know, don't have the, the platform, you know, of Sarah Bessie or Shannon Dingle or Caitlin Curtis, like, you know, these amazing, progressive, powerful women. Yeah, you know, they are. Not all of us have that. And, um, you know, so for me, I'm like, while we build our platforms, let's help help each other build their platforms too. You know, so we're all yeah. growing, all emerging at the same time. Yeah, and I it's funny with Caitlin. I I followed her like I think two three years ago, and she wasn't anything like as big as she is now. But like it was again, it was yeah. the same. It was the same principle. It was yeah. like I saw like somebody who was doing some important work and telling some important stories and had some important stuff and I followed her and I chatted to her and I had her on the show and stuff and they're like it's like you know um, yeah I, I just I just it's 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 really great we have those big people with big platforms who are doing good work mm-hmm. but it's also important that other people with equally valid stories and things to share get an opportunity to be raised up you know and 
that's one of yeah. the things I try and do on this on this podcast, to be honest. Like, um, yeah. because because I know that I've appreciated it, and people have done it for me as well. So, um, you know, I've I've been very intentional with the type of voices as well that I've had on the show. Like, you know, more women of color, more people of color generally, more women, you know, uh, more LGBTQ people. You know, like it's just really really important to me, like, um, to try and build it up so that it's not it's not just a white guy with other white guys or even just white or white women even like that it's that it's that it's, that it's actually represent, representative of the world you know of, of what's out of the people that are doing work in the world so yeah um that sounded a bit egotistical i'm sorry about that <laughs> um um not i wasn't giving trying to give myself loads of credit there i know i'm not perfect um i have I'm a long way to go i'm across the waves here <laughs> thank you um appreciate your work i think that you i think you're doing such a great job there's you know guys like you and tim fall um you know that i i've just been following for a long time and i just think that you know, if I could just high-five both of you, like, every day, I totally would. Yeah, that's encouraging. That's really encouraging. And I think, yeah, I mean, I mean, so how is your, your journey, your kind of deconstruction seems to have happened quite relatively quickly. Like, you know, if you've gone from, (laughs) from like non-affirming to affirming and inclusive in three years, that's, that's a pretty, that's Uh, a pretty, that's a pretty, pretty quick jump. Yeah. It's been, it is this whole, it's so interesting because it's February, 2020. So it was almost exactly five years ago this week that I moved to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And when I moved here, I was still Republican. I was still considered myself conservative Christian. I had just moved to Harrisburg to help plant a church. And within the first two weeks here, the pastors of this church handed me a book um, about eschatology that blew my mind, blew it open. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So the rapture is not a thing. And most of this, most of the, these prophecies and stuff happened centuries ago. So what in hell else am I, have I been believing that is not accurate? And then my friend, Amber Bacota, I was working for a Christian publisher at the time. Um, and I started talking, and she had, she was working on a book called God's Feminist Movement, and that book got everything kind of um, floating for me. I had never heard of Sarah Bessie before then. I don't know who's – I mean, I kind of had heard of Jen Hatmaker, um, but when I first started this whole deconstructing thing, it all started with moving um, – I was never a full-blown complementarian. My parents don't operate that way. My parents operate very egalitarian. Um, like my dad is, is, um, very progressive theologically. He loves like Greg Boyd, if that tells you anything. Um, so yeah. Um, but my dad, you know, my dad has been a huge encouragement for me as I've been working through a lot of my faith stuff out, but my mom leans more complementarian. So, but I grew up in very, 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 very conservative churches and my school and everyone around me was conservative. So purity culture just ruined my life. and Same, yeah. Yeah, and then I moved here, and I decided I started reading about egalitarianism, and egalitarianism was my foot in the door. It was that little bit that kind of made me realize, you know, 1 Timothy 2.12 and Ephesians 5, and, you know, the different things about women were not what I thought they were. Hmm. And it, because of that, you know, women like Jory Micah and, 
Charlie Olivia Grantham and Sarah Bessie and Amber Pakoda. These are women who gave me my, you know, they're the they're the backs that I grew oh, on, you know, or stood on. I don't know how that phrase oh, Jory, I love Jory. I've had her on the show as well. She's great. <laughs> yeah. There's just there's so many fantastic women that I owe uh, you know, that I owe so much to because they paved the way for me to get to where I am. And, you know, so I, for me, it all started with, um, deconstructing women. And then I, I, you know, I'm currently, I feel like I've been here for like a year and a half now, but I've been deconstructing the idea of hell. Um, and I've been reading about, I mean, I'm not a universalist, um, but I see how people get there and, like saying that out loud is scary because you know you you like whisper universalism and people lose their minds you know but I mean you've got guys like Richard Rohr and Pete Enns who are out here like writing books that just would blow every conservative mind forever you know and yeah for me it has been a process it's been and I when I I'm an eight so when I do things I do them really big. Yeah. And I do hard. Um, and so for me, I just dove into deconstructing, deconstruction and I didn't stop. I just read all the books. I read all the blogs. I started following everybody on, and their mother on Twitter that I could learn from. And I mean, honestly, you know, Sarah Bessie, I think, is one of the most balanced voices on the entire planet. Yes. Oh, yes. So true. I think she is the perfect balance of truth wrapped in grace and kindness in a way that you know you can you can realize oh I was wrong about this but Sarah invites you into like invites you into a place of yeah let's yeah. think about this and yeah. let's you know and so Sarah was honestly a safe place for me to start deconstructing my LGBTQ theology um was yeah she was a safe place for that for me she probably did not know that um, like we follow each other on Twitter and I should probably just tell her. Um, yeah, know. she would appreciate that. I, yeah, she's been, oh, she's been so great for me. Like, mm-hmm. like a really balanced voice and stuff. And I'm, yeah. I feel so honored that I've had her on the show like three times. And like the last time. I interviewed her on Asia Rising um, back in when we first started. I had a oh, video interview with her on YouTube. She's so it. great. She's she so fun to talk to. Like, and she just talks like she writes. She's just so poetic in how she talks, just like in our conversations, you know, like she just says the most profound things. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, deconstructing, I, you know, I feel like I want everybody to deconstruct, you know, but I also know how dangerous deconstruction is because it does blow up your whole life. It does. Um, and, and lucky for me, my best friend and I started down the rabbit hole at the same time. And she and I live three hours away, you know, and she reads and listens to more podcasts than I do. So when I have questions, I call and I'm like, Sierra. Yes, my best friend's name is Sierra as well. So there's that. Oh, that's really great. Yeah, we have the same first and middle name. It's super weird. That's <laughs> really cool. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but I'll call her and I'll be like, Sierra. I don't know what to think about this. Have you heard any podcasts? She's like, actually, let me tell you. And then she spiels for like 30 minutes about this podcast she listened to by like, you know, the Bible for normal people. And, you know, what Pete N said about blah, blah, blah. This is our friendship now. Like, we've been best friends for 10 years, um, but we've we've spent the last five deconstructing together. Yeah. And 
you know, we've been, we've, we've both been de- deconstructing all the subjects together. But yeah. I think my caution is not to push people to deconstruct at any pace than they're comfortable with. Um, because yes. I see a lot of them being like people being like, well, you, you know, basically, oh, you're not LGBTQ affirming yet. You can't sit at our table. Um, and people said that to me basically, but I, I needed a seat at the table so that I could listen and learn, but I kept getting pushed out, you know, because I wasn't there yet, but had they let me come and sit at the table, I probably would have deconstructed this a lot faster. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's really interesting because I, I mean, you know, the last four years for me have been the most intense deconstruction period. Yeah. Like, but when I look back, I've probably I was probably deconstructing before that. You know, I've, I've probably been deconstructing for twenty years, like since my mother passed away. I just didn't realize it. You know, I only became really aware of it. The I mean, like it's really interesting you talked about deconstructing hell and deconstructing your LGBTQ theology, like. And I think, wow, yeah, I did that. But I did it 10 years ago. Um, and kind of under the radar when Twitter wasn't such a big thing. You know. Um, Hello, it wasn't everything. You know, I feel sorry for people who are doing it now in a way because they have to, might have to go through what you go, went through, you know, which is like, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working on it. Like, I'm listening, you know, um, and then getting, like, pushed out. And... But it's, yeah, it's, and I, well, I'm writing a book about my, my deconstruction, and, uh, well, part of it is my deconstruction, and one of the things I really want to say in that book is that it, everyone does it differently, everyone does it at their own pace, and everyone, everyone ends up in a different place, kind of, you know, um, and it's just an ongoing process, it's not even just a faith thing, it's a life thing, you know, you have to, it's like this, like, um, Richard Roy talks about in, falling upward like this kind of shift to the second half of life in a way like letting go of a lot of the old stuff that you don't need anymore and moving into um moving into something new like and actually it's deconstruction is almost actually going into yourself and connecting with your truest self yeah um and I think the yeah. interesting part about deconstruction for me has been my relationship with the Bible has changed so drastically. Yeah. Um, I no longer deify the Bible, which is really scary to say because I'm like waiting to be slaughtered by evangelical Christianity for saying that. Um, but for me, it, it, I, my relationship with the Bible has changed so much that, you know, I, I mean, I question everything now. Um, and I have, I have to really rely on the voice of Holy Spirit to get me through a lot. Um, because I, you know, I read things and then, um, I just kind of go, but how does this apply to somebody living, you know, on, you know, the dumps in Africa, like, or, you know, a single mom in Haiti, you know, how, you know, like my best friend, I was recently talking about how we always hear people being, in America being like, the Lord got me such a, a great parking spot at Walmart today. And <laughs> I'm like, did he? And then they're like, hashtag favor. And I'm like, uh, no, the Lord did not get you that parking spot. Nope. Someone left. <laughs> you just happened to be driving by in the right time. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's right. Because that pisses me off now. Like I cannot. Oh, the, the car space. Oh my gosh. The, the parking space thing is just the, the most, 
cheesy thing. Like, oh, so dumb. God doesn't care just, about parking like, space. It's like, really? You think God is willing to answer your prayer and give you a parking space? And just forget about all the poverty and inequality and all of that because, like, that's not as important. Right. Okay. I like, you think God would just ignore all of that and, oh, I'll give them a parking space. Like, there's like an 80 year old woman, 10, you know, that's because you took that spot who's hobbling with her walker at the back of the parking lot. But, you know, God yeah. didn't want her to get that spot. He wanted you to have that spot. Like, yeah. come on, man. No. No. So I, I don't know. I wrestle a lot with evangelical Christianity now, this favor of stuff, this God's blessing on my life kind of shenanigans. I just, yeah. You know, I I think yeah. I think God is awesome and powerful and huge and can do anything that God wants to. But I also think that there are I don't want to say limits because I, God is not limited. But I think that God um, has set laws of nature into play. You know that God doesn't. I mean, otherwise, I mean, if God just inter, intervened every time something bad happened or every time we wanted something good to happen it would just it would not be good you know yeah and that's something for humans just making bad choices that's that's something i've really struggled with because of Um, you know my own kind of trauma and um which i won't talk about again i've talked about it a lot on the show but um it was you know the one of the things that i struggled with and still do sometimes is like I went through all this. You could have done something and you didn't do anything. Like, I yeah. don't understand. Like, and I've actually got to this really good place where I can say that and be a bit angry with God, but also still love him and wrestle with him, like, properly wrestle with him about things and talk about things honestly. And it feels like it's like, oh, this is a proper relationship. This is like a grown up relationship where it's not just all like oh i'm just going to fall at your feet and just do whatever you say and just accept blindly whatever you say i'm actually going to engage in a relationship and just talk this thing of stuff over with you like and i was like thinking of the psalms and stuff and that's exactly what some of the psalms are about like so it's even scriptural to do that if you want to use that phrase you know like so and i'm like so actually that's quite a healthy place to be it's not like because i'm not all just like oh like god like you know kind of fawning over god but also i'm not kind of just like i hate you um i found a kind of healthy balance in the in the middle of that which is i think that's a really good space to be you know for me uh one of the things i struggle the most with god is is the holocaust god and i have very intense conversations about this and i know that there have been atrocities all over the world you know slavery in america you know genocide in vietnam like there's been a, a whole worldwide record of atrocious things. But for some reason, I think because the Holocaust was like only 40 years before I was born, you know, uh, it just hits for me. Yeah. You know, grandma's lifetime. Um, the Holocaust hit me like deeper than I think anything else has ever hit me. And, yeah. you know, I read, I read books. Um, I read books. I, I feel like, obligated to honor the lives and stories of the victims who live to tell their stories. And so I spend way too much time, you know, listening to stories and, and reading and, but I struggle with God with this. Like this is, you know, when you, you know, people are like, when I get to heaven, I have, you know, three questions for God. Mine is where in hell were you while the Holocaust was happening? Like that is my thing with God. And, you know, and I've had to learn not to let that run my life 
but I have a, you know, trigger warning because I'm, I'm about to get a little bit graphic here. Um, but you know, I have an issue knowing that there were, you know, little babies being sewn together by a crazy doctor, you know, in prison cells and, you know, that were alive for days like this. And where was, you know, where was God while this was happening? You know, people are like, God got me this parking spot. And I'm just like, you know, I'm like, okay, so God cares about your parking spot, but God did not, but God, God couldn't care about, you know, you know, twins that were being ripped apart and sewn together by a crazy doctor, you know, a hundred years ago. Yeah. You know, I just can't with it. I just, no. I have my tolerance for this like favor shenanigans that's going, that goes on a lot in charismatic Christianity, especially. Yeah. Um, you know, because. Oh, I'm over that. Yeah. <laughs> focus. Um, you know, I remember being, I think I was 14. Um, when I, you know, my, one of my, my parents um, took me to counseling to work through some nice the stuff happened in my childhood. Um, and, um, you know, I went, to, I, sorry. Um, part of the, um, part of the counseling was I went to this thing called Thea Fostic. Um, right. and I, um, I am trying to sorry, my computer's making noises. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, one of the questions they asked me, they said, so while you were being, being abused, where do you see Holy Spirit? And I didn't, I didn't see Holy Spirit. And someone, I was like, what do you mean? Like, what? And someone was like, some, one of the women starts crying and she said, I just see the Holy Spirit sitting in the corner, you know, aching over what is happening to you. And I remember thinking, so Holy Spirit was in the room with me while I was being molested and he was and or and Holy Spirit was just sitting there crying and not intervening. Like, are you kidding me? Like this is some of the crazy nonsense that I grew up hearing from like some of these charismatic, you know, deep deep faith healers yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. things. And I'm like, the hell are we talking about? You know, and so I've had to spend a lot of time even just deconstructing my ideas of my my ideas and views of who God is and what God's capable of and what God does and does not do. Um, yeah. And that probably will piss a lot of people off to hear me say that because we live under this idea that God is limitless and he and I think God is. But I also know that um, God is also a bit hands off, like he has left the world to us. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's a difficult one. And that's it. That's part of the working things through on deconstruction. You know, it's... One of the things I'd like on deconstruction is actually, like, I'm never going to know the answer to, to all my questions. Yeah. I'm never going to know why things happened. I'm never going to know why... Yeah. You know, my mother was allowed to get brain damage when I was a babe when I was when I was eight years old, um, which affected the rest of my life. I'm never yeah. gonna, I'm never gonna know why, my why, you know why God let my mother die when I was only 23. I'm never gonna know. Like I, I just I'm not gonna know. And like maybe one day I'll understand. <laughs> maybe I one day I'll get to ask God in person, but. I have to, in the meantime, I have to be content with just not knowing and just working it through and just working yeah. it out and just 
that that's part of relationship with honest relationship with God. I think. So, and I think we have to stop holding God accountable for things that God did not do. Yeah. You know, I think so often we want to blame God when bad things happen and give God credit when good things happen. I think God is sitting up there like, I had nothing to do with any of this most of the time. You know, yeah. like something bad happens. We're like, God, why would you do this? And, but then at the same time, you know, we also believe that God is not the giver of bad things. You know? Yeah. So I, this is where I just kind of come with my faith. I think God is a lot more hands-off than we give God credit for. You know, I, I don't think God intervenes every time something bad happens. I don't think God, you know, because ha- we have free will at the end of the day, you know, and that includes other people's free will that affects us. Yeah. Know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, freedom doesn't come without suffering. Actually. Yeah, it that's, doesn't. And that... It's true. That's part of the course at this point. You know, other people make decisions that affect us, and it sucks, but it's not God's fault. It's not... It's not God's fault that I was abused or sexually assaulted or that I experienced racism or whatever. It's humans' fault. Humans make bad choices, you know? And it's like, it's just, I don't get to blame shift that onto God because of whatever reason, you know? People need to be held accountable for their crappy choices. Yeah, absolutely. Hold them accountable. Like, that's their fault, not yours. Like, it's not God's fault. It's not... Your fault. It's their fault. They're their responsibility. They made those bad choices. So hold them accountable. And I think that also goes on the positive side, too. Like, stop giving God credit for things that just happened to you, like a parking spot. You know, God did not ordain, you know, the rock star parking in front of Target for you. It just happened. You know, the, you know, people who win the lottery, it's someone picked a number out of a bowl. Like, yeah. You did not win a million dollars because God ordained you to. Like, it just happened. You know? Like, I think so many times we're like, thank you, God, for this amazing blessing. And then there's someone next to you standing there dying of cancer. You know? And that's what I think about. And I just, I'm so much more aware of my own language now. Um, and even my own privilege um, when I'm praying. Um, because I just, I don't know. I just think... I don't know. I think our just our experiences and our lives are all just so different that we just have to be careful to, I mean, obviously thank God when good things happen, you know, and, you know, but I think we have to be careful when we start making everything God ordained because then we can get into, then we've got, you know, women starving in third world countries and we've got babies who are dying from, diseases they did not ask for and Hmm. it just opens up too many too many things and my friend Amy always says to me you know that she learned to just embrace mystery and that's what I'm working on right now the mystery that is God because I don't get answers you know I don't get all the the things that I want to know um but yeah well this has been great this has been so great I feel like we could talk for a hours and hours and hours like about this stuff um yeah me too when i get when you get me going on when you get me going on stuff like this yeah i could talk for hours um yeah maybe we'll have you back again and continue this conversation that'd be great you're very easy to talk to sorry you're very easy to talk to thank you that's really encouraging as well thank you um i appreciate that 
That's really great. Um, so where can people find your work and find you online, like, so they can connect with you? Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram um, under at ICR Nicole, and Nicole has an H in it, so it looks like Nicole. And then I'm on Facebook um, under Sierra White, or you can look um, under facebook.com backslash Azer Rising, and Azer is E-Z-E-R. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And it's been so great. Um, and thanks for listening, everyone. Connect with connect with Sierra wherever you, wherever you can find out. Her work is amazing. So, um, And she's amazing. So thank you for coming on. Um, take care, everyone, and we'll talk soon. <laughs>